Our scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. Acts 9. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the, to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for the man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker this morning, Harold Jones. You've seen Harold more than a few times, either singing or leading various aspects of this worship service. Harold and his wife, Ganende, were born and raised in Sierra Leone. And I think pretty, I've been shortly after coming here, right? You actually became part of this church over 30 years ago. Is it 35? 40. So a little more than a little. Uh, uh, they have both been elders and deacons and serve this community in, in countless numbers of ways for years. They have three children and two grandchildren. Uh, Harold is truly a rock to this community. Uh, and to me personally, a man of deep faith and prayer, just solid and unwavering. You know, certain people like that help you when you're unsteady. Kunk. I know I can always like kunk on the Harold and that will steady my legs. And I'm so grateful for that. He's one of the, you know, he's, I always think, one of the faithful people named in a lawsuit, which wasn't too fun for many of us, but unwavering. And again, a strength to everybody. A, and a personal strength to me, he's a person I call on any time I need prayer. I know in any moment if I feel shaken or something like that, I can, you know, text or call Harold and he will respond and pray. And I have no doubt of that. You know, you'd like to think you had a long list of those kind of people, but few of us do. Um, 
And so we are so blessed as a church to have both Harold and Gennady in our fellowship, and I'm excited to hear what he has to share with us this morning. Thanks, Harold. Thank you, Garrett. I was almost concerned that maybe um, I'll come up here and the sermon pages will be gone. <laughs> the Examined Life, A Journey of Surprises. Journeys can be fun, exciting, and even surprising. If you were to tell someone you were going on a journey, they're much more interested in your destination than the origin of your trip. Destinations are really important. And one way or the other, they tend to be the first thing one has in mind before taking off on a journey. This makes sense, right? One can go on a journey alone or with companions, whether friends, acquaintances, etc. Sometimes one may have to go on a journey with someone you actually don't like. I wouldn't recommend that, but it happens. However, the destination is what we all rave about because it helps define the purpose of the journey in the first place. If I tell you I'm going to Detroit next week, you want to ask why I'm going to Detroit, as in, what would ever make you want to go to, to Detroit? <laughs> On the other hand, if I said I was heading to Turks and Caicos Islands next week, you would probably begin to think, ah, this is going to be a fun trip. Luke, the biblical author who is believed to have penned the book of Acts, seems to be big on journeys and especially fond of highlighting destinations. If we consider destinations to somehow be linked to a purpose, then this is really not a surprise, as Dr. Luke introduces himself as a man of purpose. In the gospel by his name, Luke 1, 3 to 4, we read, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke was purposeful in his writing, as he said, so that Theophilus, which means lover of God, would know the certainty of the things he had been taught. So, Talking about destinations as related to the purposes for a journey are absolutely in line with accounts from Luke. He tells us in Luke 2.4 that Joseph and Mary head off to Bethlehem, as do the shepherds in Luke's two, Luke 2.15. Jesus in Luke 9.51 sets his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. To disciples, walk on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 13. And now in Acts 9, Saul sets on a journey to Damascus. Coincidentally, all these journeys also bring surprises. Check them out. Anyway, so it was with Saul on his journey to Damascus. 
First, let's roll back a bit and see how this story unfolds. How did we get to Saul and Damascus in the first place? In Acts 1.8, Jesus prophesies that his disciples would be witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, but in Judea and the utmost parts of the world. As we read here, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In Acts 8.1, we see that the prophecy is fulfilled as the disciples are scattered because of persecution. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, if we pick up the account from the end of Acts 7, we're introduced to this character, Saul, as the persecution in Jerusalem reaches its peak or is now full-blown. Saul, full of zeal, decides that he needs to persecute these people of the way, that is, Christians, to the fullest extent. And so now that things were well on hand in Jerusalem, he decides to head to Damascus because some of Jesus' followers had gone to Damascus to escape the persecution in Jerusalem. In case you wondered, Saul is not a nice guy, but one who is angry and violent. And he's not about to take a relaxing vacation, but he's breathing murderous threats and is ready to drag the members of this sect back to Jerusalem, likely to be put to death. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. We should say a few things about Damascus. It turns out that Damascus is the oldest continually occupied city in the world. There's a very rich history of connections with Damascus all through the Bible. From the mention of Abraham's heir, before Isaac was born, being someone from Damascus, Eliezer from Damascus, in Genesis 15:2, through prophecies from Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Amos, conflicts in First and Second Kings, and of course the mentions in the New Testament. Today, of course, it is the capital of Syria. Geographically, it was, and still is, north of Jerusalem. Also, the road from Jerusalem to Damascus was somewhere around 130 miles long. And so the journey in our passage today would take about six days. It doesn't appear that anything extraordinary happened or surprising happened in the first five days. But on day six, at almost the end of the journey, Saul gets a big surprise. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, 
Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Note that the surprise was sudden. Not only was, Paul, was Saul not expecting this, but he was startled and basically terrified. God wanted his attention, and he was not going to be subtle about it. We learned that there was both a bright light from heaven and a voice that spoke. First tip for the journey. When God wants our attention, he makes sure that we know that he demands it. I remember thinking when I first read this passage that it was night time, and this, so this bright light lit up the night sky. And there's nothing in this passage that would make one think differently, except that there are other retellings of this journey. Acts 22.6 tells us that this event occurred during the day, around noon, when one would normally expect the sunlight to be at its brightest. This is one of Paul's own accounts in front of what actually was a mob in Jerusalem. The city was in an uproar, and they were ready to tear Paul to pieces, but he was given a chance to speak. Acts 22, 4-7. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? But there's even more information from Acts 26, 12 through 17 and Paul's audience with King Agrippa. On one of these journeys, as I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the, of the chief priests, about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. From this further account by Paul, the light was brighter than the sun. We should pause and take this in. Can you imagine a light brighter than the sun? We might begin to understand why Saul was blinded. This incident is of such importance that it is mentioned three times in the book of Acts alone. First in Luke's telling, Acts 9, and then subsequently from Paul's own mouth in Acts 22 and 26. The next thing to note is when in the journey this sudden surprise happened. They were basically at the end of their journey. 
anticipating that the moment for which they had been waiting was close at hand. Why didn't God surprise Saul just as he started on the journey? Why wait till he was basically about to enter Damascus? Maybe you have something, a way of thinking, or something that you have been doing the same way for years. You're about to wrap it all up, legacy secure. I mean, surely God isn't going to interrupt anything now. Everybody knows that this particular way is how you do things. You've been doing it the same way for 10, 20, 30, or 40 years. There's an established rhythm, and then suddenly, God springs something on you. Second tip for the journey, God has his own clock, which can be very, very different from ours. I don't know about you, but often when I'm on a long journey in the car, I appreciate the comfort that comes when the voice, be it Siri or another navigation voice, is there to direct me where to go. Usually it's not a conversation, unless when you're in the car alone and you can pretend you're having a conversation. <laughs> take a left to the next life, light, and I go, I don't want to take a left. <laughs> you think you know where I'm going better than I do? Then make a U-turn as soon as you can. And I say, there's no way I'm going to make a U-turn. Look at all the traffic. Saul hears a voice, and it's not really a conversation. Despite the fact that Saul is asked a question, it is one for, it, for which he has no answer. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. I should point out that as terrifying as this was for Saul, Luke indicates that the address starts with Saul, Saul, calling his name twice. Similar to Luke 10, 41, where Jesus says, Martha, Martha. And Luke 22, 31, where Jesus says, Simon, Simon. In both of these situations, it was spoken from a place of compassion. And even though the circumstances were terrifying for Saul, Jesus spoke to him out of compassion. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus was about to give instructions and not engaging in a conversation with Saul. The Lord of the journey is making himself known. Saul gets to ask a question, which we will get back to, but that is as far as he gets. Jesus is given instructions, and the only option is to listen and obey. Scripture warns us that if we hear his voice, and decide to do differently, then we are in effect hardening our hearts. I have to confess that the hardening of my heart is something with which I am familiar.
As far as Saul was concerned, he was just chasing down people who were making a mockery of Judaism. A sect that was apparently saying it would destroy the temple, etc. So technically, yes, he was persecuting these people of the way. However, Jesus saw it differently. Jesus was the way, and Saul was persecuting him. I don't think we can begin to imagine how shocking this was to Saul. He had been the one bringing the charges, and now here he was being charged with persecuting the Lord. How would we react when the tables are suddenly turned on us? Suddenly you're no longer the hero, but the one who is in the wrong. Another tip for the journey is that God doesn't think like we do. Isaiah 55, 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. To make matters worse, as the account is told, Saul gets up from the ground blind and had to be led by hand into Damascus. The irony that the man who with power and authority was planning to drag people out of Damascus was being led powerless into Damascus. There during the first three days of his blindness, he neither ate nor drank anything. It might not be too far of a stretch to imagine that Saul was still in shock after meeting the Lord of the journey. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Have you ever felt like you need to help God with the facts? Just in case he was busy and missed something? I think this took incredible courage from Ananias. I mean, what do you do when the God of the universe forgets to read page three of the newspaper? <laughs> if you don't point it out, who will? So Ananias tries to give God a quick summary of the news. I can just imagine a pause between verse 12 and verse 13 where Ananias might consider if he should say something. He was brave, but God didn't seem to be swayed by the information Ananias relayed. Instead, he was commanded to go. God basically told Ananias that what he had was old news because God had new plans for Saul's future. Sometimes we look at all that we have in invested in whatever area of our lives, career, relationships, etc. 
And God may just interrupt our journey and say, that's old news. I have a radically different future for you. He can do that because he is the Lord of the journey. Did you ever wonder about the companions that started the journey from Jerusalem with Saul? We don't hear anything else about them. Saul ended up with a whole new set of relationships. We need to expect that when God interrupts our journey, whenever that is, we may end up with a new set of companions. We cannot leave here today without looking at the question that Saul asked. Who are you, Lord? This is the question we must all ask. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? It is fascinating that this question in so many forms is asked all through the Gospels. When Jesus would calm the storms, they would ask, who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? Even up to his trial before Pilate, this question was still being asked. Are you the king of the Jews? Everyone wants to know. Even Jesus wants to know our answer to that question. In Matthew 16, 13 to 15, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? We need to know because the answer to that question could drive us to our knees and change our lives, our purpose, and maybe even the destination of our journey. For Saul, it led to the ultimate pursuit in his life. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. May that be the pursuit of each of our lives also, that we may know the Lord of the journey, that we may be intimately acquainted with him. In conclusion, as you take your journey, remember that when you encounter the Lord of the journey, the destination may not change, but you will. The Lord of the journey can interrupt at any point in the journey. You most likely will end up with different companions from the beginning of your journey. When the Lord of the journey talks, we have to listen. And you will have to figure out the answer to the question, who is Jesus to me? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you do not leave us alone. We ask that you would continue your work of transforming us, making us into the people that you want us to be on whatever journey you've called us to take. In Jesus' name, amen.